C. diff spores and more is brought to you in part by Rebiotics, Microbiota Restoration Therapy. Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Thank you for joining us and welcome to C. diff spores and more. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals Company, for their generous support. You can find out more about their microbiome research and clinical trials at www.rebiotics, that's R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X dot com. Our guest today is Maureen Spencer, RNMED, board certified in infection control for over 30 years. Maureen will be discussing an array of important topics focused around the overuse of antibiotics and their effects. It's a pleasure to welcome Maureen Spencer to the program. Thanks for joining us today, Maureen. Oh, thank you for having me, Nancy. <laughs> well, we are so glad you're here, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. And Maureen, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself to our global listeners? Yeah, so I've been doing infection control <clears throat> my entire nursing career since I was 20 years old. <laughs> and I, you know, I happened to work in a microbiology lab up in Boston uh, all through high school and nursing school. So when I was graduating and the administrator of the hospital I was training just reached out to me and said, you know bugs and you know nursing. Would you like to be our infection control nurse? <laughs> That's actually how I got into this field. <clears throat> so it's been very interesting with the history that I have to sort of sit back and watch what's been happening in healthcare, but specifically with the topic we'll talk about, the use of antibiotics and the evolving resistance that we're seeing. But um, I've also worked in many hospitals up in Boston, uh, including Mass General Hospital. I was the director for 11 years in New England Baptist, which was an orthopedic hospital. And then I worked in a corporate uh, setting as a corporate director of UHS, traveling to their 28 hospitals in seven states. So that was really fascinating to see the differences throughout the country in not only resistance, but C. difficile in different populations, you know, Texas versus California versus Florida. And more recently, I took a job as uh, a couple of years ago as the director of clinical education at a company called Accelerate Diagnostics. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that later is, is one of the products that they have that absolutely fits in beautifully with trying to deal with this issue around resistance because of the uh, overuse of antibiotics. But again, well, thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Maureen. And thanks so much for sharing your history and your background with us. And there are so many topics and so many aspects of overuse of antibiotics and their effects. And, you know, the biggest question is, what are some of the challenges with the widespread use of antibiotics? Well, I, I know that this is your area of focus and expertise, that one of the challenges we have with the overuse as we develop what we sometimes call side effects or the adverse outcomes of using too many antibiotics, like something like uh, C. difficile. Um, so what, what happens with the, the prescribing habits of physicians with antibiotics maybe got a little bit out of control, I guess. You know, many patients come in and will demand an antibiotic for many times just a viral infection. You know, they may get a low-grade fever and, you know, have some sniffles or what looks like the flu. And we have just very easily just started to 
you know, prescribe them without really thinking about the long-term effects. In fact, when the antibiotics first got released in the early 1940s, uh, penicillin, for instance, was put in mouthwash. It was given to, you know, in the military for all kinds of conditions, whether they were bacterial or not. And very shortly after, they started to see resistance um, of the organisms to, uh, I mean, of the um, organisms, yeah, to the, like, Staphylococcus aureus. And so then they had to go back to the drawing board and start to develop a new set of antibiotics that would deal with those organisms resistant to Staph aureus. So they came up with a new group like methicillin. And over a period of time, these organisms have figured out how to get resistant to that. Uh, more recently, vancomycin, which we always just say is our flagship uh, antimicrobial for MRSA and Staphylococcus aureus and other um, types of infections, gram-positive infections, we're seeing resistance of that starting to develop. So this has been a battle between us and them over and over again. They're brilliant. I mean, that was the thing that kept me so intrigued as a youngster, you know, in high school in learning about this other world. Um, and we're like the planet, planets for them. I mean, there's trillions of them on our body. And they have, you know, normal functions for us to be able to survive. They're, we need them to be in our system. But they're bright and they help one another, and they just develop this resistance. So I, I think the major thing we're dealing with now is, is to try to control the unnecessary use of antibiotics. And a lot of education is going on by the CDC, by the World Health Organization, and many different other societies and associations to raise that red flag to physicians or to nurse practitioners, those uh, PharmDs, people that prescribe medications, specifically antibiotics, to really start to get educated and rethink the use of it, not only the use of the antibiotic, but the duration of the antibiotic. So that's another thing we're seeing. A lot of studies are coming out where they're showing that maybe we don't need a 10-day course. We could maybe use a 7-day course. Or maybe they start to bring down the dosing, and we don't need to overdose patients with the antibiotics. So those are some of our challenges, is that too many antibiotics are wiping out the normal flora, and we're seeing some side effects um, and other kinds of overgrowth conditions like the C. difficile that you deal with. Exactly. Thanks, Maureen. And uh, Maureen, what about the viruses? Can that be, you know, can we use antibiotics to treat viruses? So, no. There, well, there are some antimicrobials specifically for viruses that we have. But unfortunately, the antibiotics that are for bacteria because we have bacteria, we have viruses, we have fungus and molds, we have parasites. Uh, we have different kinds of in what we call antigens or invaders that come into our body. And then our body tries to fight them with the immune system, which, by the way, that's the number one most important thing. If you can keep a robust, functioning immune system, then we can pretty much fight anything, you know, if, if that's really intact. But, you know, what what's happening is the... As I said earlier, many patients will take an antibiotic or they hold on to their antibiotic if they haven't used the entire prescription, and they'll just put it up on the shelf for the next time. So I won't have to go to the doctor when I get that sore throat or that urinary tract infection. And they start to use that, and they don't have the right dosing. They don't have the right duration. And so it starts to get resistant. And so we think that a lot of this has been caused by the overuse of antibiotics for viral infections. 
Um, and the other interesting thing about viruses, you know, if even when they're on the antibiotics, they've really highlighted how viruses, uh, because of the effects on our enteric system, you know, the GI system and our microbiome, the wiping out of the good, what we call normal flora, the, the commensals, organisms that, are, that are, live with us and are used to having, a, you know, a home in our colon or in our stomach or on the skin, um, because we wipe that out, then the viruses can then take advantage. And so you see sometimes that those kinds of viruses, viral infections, will start to take advantage because we don't have our normal flora. But typically, viruses are not killed by antibiotics. They're, they're killed by antiviral agents. You know, there's one for herpes simplex, for instance, or they might give something for herpes zoster, you know, the old chickenpox virus, but not an antibiotic. That's specifically for bacteria. Okay, and I'm so glad you said that, Maureen. And I'm going to ask you, you know, now the flu season's upon us. So if you can just tell our, explain to our global listeners about the flu and how antibiotics either do or do not treat the flu. Right, so the the initial response of our body to the flu is, you know, as it comes in, uh, primarily comes in through the nasal, the nasal passages, but it can also be, you know, if you rub your eyes and your hands are contaminated and could get through the conjunctiva through that way. But for the most part, we inhale it and it comes in and it starts to replicate. Viruses actually go into the cells and use the cell itself to replicate. And they just make millions of millions of copies in babies, you know, inside our body. So what happens is we tend to get this um, systemic response in which we ache all over and we get arthralgias, aching joints, myalgia, aching muscles, and often we'll start to increase the temperature as the body realizes that there's an antigen, this viral antigen in us, and it goes into full blast, the immune system, to fight that virus. So as that goes along, we get secretions. You know, a lot of times uh, it, it's interesting that the flu very often doesn't have the amount of secretions you might find with some other upper respiratory um, viruses. But what happens in the lungs is this intense immune response, and there's a lot of mucus that can then start to build up in the lungs. And so often what happens is somebody gets a secondary bacterial infection related to the flu. So it's not necessarily the flu that's causing all of this build, um, causing the infection in the lungs. It's the secretions that then allow them to start to build up and start to call, you know, pneumonia, start to build up to a case of pneumonia where it infiltrates the tissues. So it's a, it's a tricky call, you know, if they have to take an x-ray to see if the patient has now developed pneumonia, and then they might give them some antibiotics for that secondary situation, but not for the flu. So that's one of the most difficult uh, challenges for the infectious disease or general, you know, physicians to figure out, does this person have just a reaction to the viral infection or are they now developing a secondary infection that is bacterial and they do need an antibiotic? Okay. And Maureen, what about diagnostics um, that we can utilize for cultures or a diagnostic to show a virus versus bacteria? Are they available? Yeah. So there are many new companies with just brilliant technology for identification of um, or different organisms and viruses. In fact, many of these new identification systems do rapid identification. Uh, one of them is called polymerase chain reaction, for instance, or PCR. 
And that can now develop, uh, identify within a very short period of time, like an hour or so, uh, things like norovirus and some of the herpes viruses and so forth, as well as bacteria. So we have rapid identification systems for the lab now. Where in the old day, it would take them a long time to culture things out, days, to be able to figure out what was going on. They can get results in an hour now. Uh, there's one company that has a PCR for tuberculosis in, and can, in a sputum, identify if mycobacterium tuberculosis is in the sputum in two hours. And that's typically one that we would have to wait weeks in order to, you know, be told that that was actually MTB. So many, many laboratories now have instituted this kind of technology, rapid diagnostics, which give you the identification of the organism, both bacterial, viral, and even fungus like candida. Uh, Some of them can identify very quickly a certain group of uh, candida species that you might have in specimens or in bloods, for instance. So yeah, that's a very evolving molecular diagnostics, it's called, and Boy, there's just some really great products on the market right now for identification. That's really great to know, and I'm sure everybody appreciated that, and there's a lot of hope on the horizon, too. And with that, Maureen, we're going to pause right now for a commercial break, and when we return, we'll continue discussing overuse of antibiotics and their effects with Maureen Spencer. Please, um, we'll be right back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Rebiotics, a faring pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Handwashing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Join us on November 6th and 7th for the 7th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Doubletree Westport Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. To view the conference details and register online, visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org. Again, that's cdifffoundation.org. We look forward to meeting you in November. To help support the C. diff foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. 
donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to C. diff, spores, and more. It is a pleasure to reintroduce Maureen Spencer to the program. Thank you for joining us today, Maureen. Thank you for having me, Nancy. I always love your show. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you, and thanks so much for joining us, and we appreciate your time and your information and expertise and all of these wonderful questions and topics of overuse of antibiotics and their effects. And, you know, there are so much going on right now with um, not only with the antimicrobial resistance and the overuse of the uh, antibiotics, but, you know, there are multiple drug-resistant organisms now. Um, and, you know, Maureen, you can answer this best, but is Clostridioides difficile, or C. diff, considered an MDRO, a multi-drug resistant organism? Well, first I'd like to explain what we, we mean by an MDRO, a multiple drug resistant organism. So what happens with organisms, um, they discovered many years ago, about probably about 40, 50 years ago, looking under electron microscopes, they sort of noticed that this, an organism next to another organism, which is a di- was a different species, this long tube came out of it, and it injected itself into the other species, and they could see material going through this tube. Uh, they call it a pili, a P-I-L-I. And when they took it out, they were able to discover that the, the one that got stuck by the other one had actually taken on its resistance factors. So Pseudomonas, which tends to be pretty resistant uh, naturally, is able to reach out and touch someone, touch the E. coli that wasn't all that sensitive back then, and could transfer what we call R factors, resistant factors, to the other species so that every time that E. coli had a new, quote, baby, every 20 minutes they multiply, it had inducted into its system down in the DNA and so forth this, these resistance factors. So then every time it produced another one, every 20 minutes, you know, it's two, it's four, it's 16, they go 62. I mean, in one day, 100,000 organisms from one organism in a 24-hour period of time. So it's quite the rapid growth. And that's the key thing. When we look at a resistant organism, we're thinking that's one way they get resistant and they have some other ways where they pass their plasmids out into maybe an environment as a transposin and the other organism takes it in. I mean, we're talking like, like Star Wars kind of stuff, you know, on a very, you know, cellular level that all this communication is going on. So that's what we typically think of an MDRO. Um, one of the first ones we saw in the country back in 1980 was MRSA, so methicillin-resistant staph aureus, where the, spe- the penicillin, within a few years, the bugs were already resistant to that, they got the next group of 
you know, penicillinase-resistant antibiotics, they started to get resistant to those in 1980. Then 10 years later, as we started to use a lot of vancomycin for the MRSA infections, we started to see vancomycin-resistant enterococcus. So that started to be a problem through the 80s, uh, through the 90s. And then we started to see carbapenem-resistant um, antibiotics, what we call CRE. And those are happening a lot like in the gram-negatives, the Klebsiella's, and the Enterobacter's. The problem with that is that they're getting close to being resistant to what we call an Andromeda strain. Nothing can treat them. They're resistant to everything, including one of our last defenses called colistin, and it can get resistant to that antibiotic. So it doesn't take, it takes them about 10 years to do this, <laughs> and it's really because of the effects we have of constant antibiotics, too many of them, keeping people on too long, using empiric therapy where we give them when they don't know what's going on with the patient, they come in so sick in the hospital, they give them two to four antibiotics. We call that empiric. And they wait days for the laboratory results to come back, which we'll talk about later on, but sensitivities. What is it sensitive to? Directing the doctor and the pharmacist, what should we treat them with? We need what's called an antibiotic sensitivity. So we already had, we talked about those rapid diagnostics will identify the organisms, but none of those will provide you with a rapid sensitivity except for one product that's on the company uh, on the um, on the market now. So when you wipe out the microbiome, the normal flora that would be in your gut in the GI system that makes up two thirds of feces is pure organisms. And some of them smell, that's why we have, you know, fecal material that smells because of some of those sulfuric producing organisms. And it's been interesting as they've been doing all this research on the microbiome project and looking at the numbers of bacteria and the different species of bacteria in people who have different health problems. It's kind of opening up this whole area of research and understanding of how the gut bacteria is so important for health. So think about it. You, you wipe out a lot of the organisms that are supposed to be there. And it would be like if we went to another country to war and we wiped out the population and we decided we would take over that land. You know, now the Americans go in and take over this entire country that used to have another, quote, species of people. That's what happens. And so Clostridium difficile, Clostridioides, now they call it, um, or C. difficile, we, that will start to overgrow when the normal floor is not there to fight it. So it's a result of the overuse of the antibiotics. But I don't really personally, and a lot of people in this field, don't consider it the same as an MDRO of like the MRSA and the VRE and the CRE and another species called ESBL. So we have these kind of group that we are very concerned about and put patients on isolation in the hospital. We don't want them to transmit around. So we have gowns and gloves and cleaning equipment and uh, disinfecting and all of that to try to prevent the spread. And then we have the kind of, I think this is a side effect of the overuse of the antibiotics, the C. difficile, the same thing. Private rooms, we use bleach, we have to wash our hands rather than use the sanitizers to get rid of the spores that are in the fecal material. A lot of environmental challenges because they have so much diarrhea with that disease that there's a lot of cleaning and disinfecting that has to take place. So that's kind of a good way to look at, the. I think, the two groups. One group getting resistant to the antibiotics so that you can't treat them anymore. You can't use that antibiotic. And you have to go to a, a better gun if there's one available, which we're running out. 
And then you have this overgrowth situation with the C. difficile. And another species that tends to overgrow is candida, the yeast. So that's another one. We, we call them opportunistic infections. They kind of take the opportunity to challenge us when we don't have our immune system functioning well and we don't have the right microbiome, the right gut bacteria present to keep them out. So does that make sense? <laughs> yes, absolutely does. Now, do the antibiotics cause this? Yes. So the antibiotics, the use of the antibiotics, as I said earlier, either patients are on them for too long and they really see the difference in 30 to 60 days, you know, very long-term uh, use of antibiotics, which unfortunately for some chronic conditions like a joint infection, somebody had a prosthetic implant that got infected, they may keep them on them for a long period of time. Uh, people with cystic fibrosis and other kinds of conditions, uh, urinary tract infections that keep coming back. So we've got many people that take antibiotics for like a long period of time. The second is using too many antibiotics while you're waiting for lab results, and that happens every day in U.S. hospitals, that they're on anywhere from two to four, depending on the the presenting symptoms of the patient, um, how many they'll use. They usually want to have a set of an antibiotic to cover the gram-positive bacteria like the staphylococcus, gram-negative bacteria like I said, E. coli or Klebsiella, Pseudomonas, and then they might want to have a a candida, a fungal antibiotic. And then if they think they perforated, you know, the bowel or they have something going on their gallbladder down in the gut, they might want an anaerobic coverage. So we have patients who are on, could be on up to three to four antibiotics waiting days for that lab result to come back. And you can imagine now it's wiping out everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got all the species that we need to have in our body. And so they either overgrow or the other problem is side effects. Um, you know, there's a, a pretty significant injury to the kidneys um, from these high doses and long-term use of these antibiotics. It can also cause problems with hearing. We call it ototoxicity. And then, of course, the kidney um, nephrotoxicity, where it starts to damage the kidney tubes. Uh, some patients get serious skin rashes all over their body and skin conditions. So that's another issue that we look at with the use of antibiotics is the adverse effect of other organs that get hit by these antibiotics and the overuse of them and then cause damage to those areas. Okay. And you know what, Maureen? I, we all appreciate all the information you've shared with us and um, really good to know. Uh, we're very saddened by all of the resistant and the multiple drug resistant organisms that have developed over the decades. Um, but right now we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing overuse of antibiotics and their effects with Maureen Spencer. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Rebiotics, a faring pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. 
partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to C. diff, spores, and more. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Rebiotics, a faring pharmaceutical company, for their generous support. You can learn more about their microbiome research and clinical trials at www.rebiotics.com. It's so nice to reintroduce our guest, Maureen Spencer, to the program. Thanks for joining us today, Maureen. Great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's wonderful that you're here. We really appreciate your time. And Maureen, we're learning so much about the overuse of antibiotics and their effects. Um, and a lot of uh, a lot of interesting topics, a lot of uh, things that have changed over the decades. And there's something new that has been developing over the past decade, and that's the human microbiome. Can you explain what the the human microbiome is? Yeah, so there's a very large uh, study that started in 2012 in the Human Microbiome Project in which there are, you know, microbiologists and researchers and got a lot of funding, you know, from the CDC and from the government to do this project to kind of um, trace and record the type of bacteria that are in all the different areas of the body and do they even exist there. For many years, we thought that the lungs were sterile or there were only certain bacteria that may be in a particular part of your body like the vagina and in the stomach. And so with this project, they've been able to map out all of the organisms that they find consistently in these areas, but then also map out the differences that they might find in in patients with different kinds of conditions. 
And so there's been all types of randomized control studies that are looking at the use of probiotic bacteria. For instance, you probably hear about probiotic use and it's in yogurt and that we should be consuming some of this bacteria to recolonize, especially when you've been on antibiotics. I always tell people, you have to take an antibiotic. There's just chlorophyll, you know, go online and get some chlorophyll, plant food, I say, <laughs> pills and or liquid and start to take that to help alkalinize the body. Also start to eat much more leafy vegetables like the kale and the spinach and lettuce and so forth to try to get the good bacteria down into the gut and cut down on sugar. Organisms love sugar. Some organisms like C. diff likes alcohol. <laughs> so, you know, getting away from, say, the carbs and the sweets and the desserts and just really limit that intake. Um, also a lot of meat because it has, think about it, uric acid. Um, and some of these slaughterhouses are having significant resistance problems because we realize that close to 80% of antibiotics are used in the food industry. And so what's happening is the, you know, they use them in the, the cattle and the various animals and so forth and chickens and they start to get infected and they start to get these resistant organisms like say a resistant salmonella. And then we can pick that up by touching the food, touching them, consuming their food. So it's, it's a real problem. It's a real global problem, the overuse of antibiotics, which that industry is starting to really come to that and start to look at that and start to, you know, start to address it. So your microbiome, you want to keep it as healthy as possible and keep it normal. And that is primarily done with eating good foods. And unfortunately, this nation, if you look at 1980, the amount of sugar consumed per American in 1980 was five pounds of sugar a year. 20, 30 years later, now it's about 160 pounds of sugar per American per year. So what happened is they started to put a lot of fructose and to make things sweet. So we would get literally addicted to some, some of the products. And, and sugar addiction is a real issue where some people just can't seem to, to, to handle that. They just have a real what we call sweet tooth. But the problem with that is that um, ferment, I mean, alcohol as well, it's a fermenting effect. And there are certain bacteria that love that as a fuel source. So I always, you know, recommend to people that are dealing with, you know, either an MDRO or C. difficile, outsmart the bugs. Think about it. I mean, if you created that because of having, you know, a bad diet and also stress, you know, stress can make you very acidic, acrid, you know, if you're very angry and, you know, you're grieving. And so a lot of that can affect the microbiome. And so the key thing is all the things that we hear, but it's hard for us sometimes to implement having a good diet and exercising, getting fresh air, and stress reduction, and, you know, reducing the amount of antibiotics that you use, uh, reducing the amounts of, you know, certain meats and so forth to keep your body in a very, very healthy state. So I think the microbiome, that research is going to help us so much. I mean, one study that came out recently was just published uh, August 21st of this year. It was, you know, there was a, just an article in Healthy Day News, but then it was based on the research that was done. The taking certain antibiotics, especially multiple long courses over, say, 30 to 60 days, um, can actually put people at a risk of developing colon cancer. You know, and, and research has found that as the antibiotic use increased, there ought to be a diagnosed with colon cancer in, in job. Now, one of the things, there are a lot of unanswered questions about that particular research. Um, and, but in theory, they feel it has to do with the change in the gut microbiome. 
that if you're wiping out those good bacteria, then they're not there to digest the food that's coming in. That's, they are little powerhouses that go in and, and help to digest and break down all the food. So if you don't have those bacteria there, it becomes, like I say, a compost pile. I mean, there's just material sitting in there that just cannot move along and can't move out as often as it should. Uh, irritable bowel syndrome is being seen more and more in young people especially. Or, you know, we also have problems with, um, you know, colon infections and irritation, pancreatitis. And a lot of them, they think it has to do with the microbiome. Is that we are, as a nation, have gotten so hooked on sugar. And in some sense, even alcohol use has increased dramatically. The soft drinks came in, and that's the number one thing to stop is soft drinks. We don't need them. I always say I'm 75% water. I only need water or maybe some tea and coffee, but primarily stay with water and stop drinking any of those sugar drinks. Uh, you know, some of those drinks at a coffee shop <clears throat> and, and maybe, say, a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts, one coffee can have a 1,000 calories in it, and it only takes 3,500 calories for a pound. And so people are just consuming so much sugar with all these sugary drinks and, you know, these energy drinks and all of these things that have by very high levels of sugar. And what they say is that the liver can only process about 48 grams of sugar a day. One can of Red Bull or some of these energy drinks can have over 70 grams of sugar in them. And it's not uncommon that people are just downing one after another throughout the day. So it all comes down to the microbiome. Um, that's they found that these that this is one of the most important parts of our body is to keep the good bacteria alive, flourishing, so it can do the job of digesting food and providing um, a defense against antigens, you know, by fighting against them because they're considered normal flora, and they don't want any invaders in the body. So, yeah, it's a big area of research that um, the CDC and others um, are, are on, big, the big microbiome project, which is just fascinating when you see the different studies that are coming out of that. Absolutely, Maureen, and thank you so much for giving us um, a whole, you know, explanation on the microbiome. It's it's amazing research going on, and the microbiome project is um, really extensive, and and we're learning so much uh, as you brought out. I mean, the amount of sugar that's that we've been taking in over the years is incredible, and you know, it's like let's talk about the pediatric population, the children. Um, you know, between the sugar drinks or diet, lack of going outside, they don't see the sunlight yeah. anymore or play in the dirt anymore. Um, you know, the yeah. lives of the children has changed. You get it. They get yeah. it. You know, I, I, I mean, I have five children and I remember when, you know, they were younger. I didn't even think about going out and getting those big, you know, cases of, you know, Coca-Cola or a Sprite or whatever they wanted. And then as I started to learn about this and I started to take some nutrition classes, I was just shocked, you know, at the epidemiology when I started to really research this consumption of sugar in our diet. In fact, when you, when you Google sugar in the immune system or sugar in the nervous system, it will bring up all of the studies that show the damage that can be done. And I've often wondered, you know, some of the things we see, we've been seeing this increase with autism and other kinds of conditions, you know, the obesity in our culture. You know, you sit back and think, like, is this really due to the sugar? You know, because it kind of coincides <laughs> a lot with that. And we know it has an adverse effect on the gut microbiome when you're drinking that much. But, yeah, you said it, that the children are 
not going out like we did, running around after school and, and playing and playing in dirt to get good bacteria that the body then recognizes and kind of starts to develop it in the, in the, especially when they're really young, crawling around on the floor and kind of picking up things and putting them in their mouths. They need that to develop their immune response. But they sit at home, and many of them have, you know, less than ideal diets. Uh, we have a lot of parents that work, so we can't even monitor sometimes what, what they're consuming. Um, we don't know what they're having at school and the vending machines and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it's a real issue. And, you know, I think the food industry knows it. <laughs> and there is some work that's trying to be done to kind of address that is, you know, um, they're trying to get healthier foods in schools and pull out the vending machines and so forth. But we got a big upward, you know, slope that we have to go up in order to really tackle this whole thing. So the food is a big issue. The lack of exercise and, you know, getting oxygen in the body. Because, you know, a lot of bacteria really don't like oxygen. They're anaerobic, we call them. The other thing with cancer, cancer will not grow in a high oxygen environment, but it likes acid. So if you make yourself alkaline by eating all the greens or, you know, if you have a hard time eating greens, if you don't like salads, fresh salads and so forth, you can get drinks that are already made that some companies are already making that have greens in them and, you know, fruits and vegetables that you can drink, or you can take that chlorophyll and start to shift the bacteria back to the normal flora that it should have. There's things like that that we could start to do that can support us having a good, healthy microbiome. Exactly, Maureen. And thanks for sharing all those great, um, you know, tips and points there for our global listeners. And, you know, we try so hard to change our diet and change our behavior and our lifestyle. And I know um, we, you know, we have a lot of patients with C. diff uh, or any, you know, catastrophic illness. Um, when they're yeah. when they're sick and they're and they're compromised, uh, and they've lost their job and they've changed you know their lifestyle, yep. eating eating well, you know, and eating good food is like a four star restaurant, <laughs> and sometimes the yep. budget does not warrant. So they do the best they can. It's very challenging. Yep. Um, we hear it every every day from our patients. They don't know how they're going to buy their protein shake they don't know how they're going to survive with their family they've lost their income it's so sad yeah. it, it really is and then, know. you know we have the cancer yeah. patients that we support because they have been treated with antibiotics and now they have c diff and this is what happens yeah. so now they're dealing yeah. with two comorbidities they're dealing with two treatments and loss of wages so you know we don't live in an ideal perfect world but we can try to guide and support. And that's that's really what we're all trying to do together, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Just education. Yeah. You know, I post on my Facebook constantly things about sepsis and antimicrobial resistance because a lot of people that are septic have obviously have to go on antibiotics and often put on two to four antibiotics while they're waiting for the results to come through. And so that's a bigger in the hospital that those patients end up being in our ICUs and they have wiped out their microbiome and overgrow with these resistance, and we then start to have spread within the hospital with some of these conditions. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it's a major problem, the, the overuse of antibiotics. There are some countries that you can just walk in to a pharmacy and you don't even need a prescription. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of work overseas teaching over in Asia. And every time I go over there, uh, before I go, I have to, you know, get online and try to figure out what, what's the latest with their resistance. And their things are so much more resistant there to antibiotics than over here. They're, mm-hmm. they're quickly running out of the last resort antibiotic, this colostin. Uh, they're seeing colostin resistance. And those patients can get on a plane and come very quickly to the United States through, you know, places like, say, Las Vegas or, you know, California, Boston, where I'm from, and they bring them here. So we're starting to see some of these highly resistant organisms showing up in our hospitals, but mm-hmm. we're tracing them that they're coming over from India, China, other other countries as well. Exactly. Exactly. And thank you for sharing that, Maureen. And right now we're going to pause for another commercial break. When we come back after commercial, we will continue discussing overuse of antibiotics and their effects with our guest, Maureen Spencer. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Rebiotics, a faring pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 for C. diff. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. 
Thank you for joining us and welcome back to Cedar Spores and More. We'd like to welcome back our special guest, Maureen Spencer, here discussing overuse of antibiotics and their effects. Thank you so much for joining us today, Maureen. Yeah, thank you, Nancy. It's been a great discussion so far. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. And I cannot believe, you know, we're, we've gone through this whole show and Earlier, you had uh, mentioned about um, Accelerate and their rapid sensitivity test. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and if it's available? Yeah, so one of the things we had talked about earlier was rapid diagnostics for identifying organisms quickly that we can find out within an hour or two um, what's in a patient's blood, which is probably one of the most serious um, illnesses that could be called sepsis. And we also, um, you know, sputums, urines, wounds, whatever. But we didn't have rapid sensitivity tests. And what that means is that after they grow the organism or they identify the organism, then they have to put it on a machine in, uh, in, or they do it manually to find out what specific antibiotics is it sensitive to, intermediate, so-so in the middle there, or it's resistant. And that is really key for infectious disease physicians and pharmacists that treat, um, do prescribe, since we have farm, what are called farm Ds in our country, and some of them in some states can actually prescribe. And so they wait for that sensitivity test. And unfortunately, that can take anywhere from two to four days, depending on the laboratory standard procedures, as well as the type of organism. So Accelerate Diagnostics came out, um, developed this over the last 10 years, developed this really unique technology to have a rapid sensitivity test or antimicrobial susceptibility test, AST, that some of the doctors refer to. And that allows them to know in a very short period of time what to treat the patient who has a bloodstream infection. So at the moment, the test is available for for bloodstream infections and sepsis. It will give the identification of the organism like those other rapid systems in an hour and a half. And then it goes on, and another four or five hours, it will come out with the sensitivity. So the entire run, as we call it, um, will be about approximately seven hours. So think about a patient, 80% of sepsis comes in through the emergency room. And the two leading causes of that are pneumonia or a urinary tract infection, what we call urosepsis or pneumonia. And so they bring the patient in, they draw blood cultures, and then they start the antibiotics. They got to get those blood cultures before they start the antibiotics. And the patients are wait in the emergency room for these results very often. Or they might send them upstairs, as we call it, up into the intensive care unit if they're really sick or a nursing unit on multiple antibiotics while they're waiting for the sensitivity. By getting it done in seven hours, we really can help with ED, emergency department throughput, and moving people in and out of there faster. Some of them might be able to send, be sent back to an extended care facility or rehab on the appropriate antibiotic. And the other key thing it gives you is often they'll use what we call the big guns. I remember when one doctor called one of the antibiotics the gorilla mycin, you know, like the ultimate antibiotic. And they're expensive. Some of them may have even more side effects. And so when the sensitivity comes back and they say, oh, it's sensitive to gentamicin, which is a much less expensive, less toxic antibiotic, let's switch them to the gentamicin. And so we're able to what's called de-escalate. We get them off these numerous antibiotics called empiric therapy, and they can direct the therapy to the right antibiotic. Or they escalate. They say, oh, we don't have them on the right antibiotic. Now we're going to shift them and get them onto the right one because we're seeing the sensitivity test. So 
that's why this has been so useful. The data, our clinical outcome data that's coming out in several uh, studies and will be presented this week at ID Week, seeing decreased length of stay of anywhere from two to three days. In some situations, decreased mortality. That's a hard one, though, to kind of capture, if you can imagine, because many of these patients are so sick with other comorbidities, as we call them. And then we also are seeing definitely decreased days of therapy and time to optimal therapy. And that's key, that these pharmacists and ID physicians can quickly get that result and get the right antibiotic. And then we will see over time reduction. We know we will. I mean, we're right now in the middle of all just clinical observations and studies, it's, it's definitely going to have an impact on C. difficile and MDROs. As we decrease the amount of antibiotics that are used, we're going to actually start to see that that will be one of the positive effects from decreased antibiotics. Well, Maureen, thank you, and thanks for sharing all that information. And would you like to um, include any contact or any closing comments before we close the show today? Yeah, I just, if people are interested, any of the, if there are any ID doctors, pharmacists, critical care people on the, on the call, you know, just check out the accelerate Their website has wonderful videos and explanations of how this works. Um, and, you know, people can reach out to me at mspencer at axdx.com if they want further information or, or just want to talk to me about C. diff or anything else <laughs> that I spoke about. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're the one to speak to. And we're just so glad, Maureen. And thank you so much for joining us today. And right now, we would like to, um, the members of the CDF Foundation, we wish to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe that are dedicated to improving health, the organizations and professionals who are researching and developing new products and ways to address not only difficile infection, but all the uh, comorbidities around the globe. Uh, in prevention treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety. To learn more about C. difficile infection and recurrent C. difficile infection clinical trials in progress and how to take care of and take part in a clinical study, please visit the C. diff foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org. Help them to help you to help others. We wish to thank Pfizer for being the diamond sponsor of the 7th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo that is being hosted on November 6th and 7th at the Doubletree Westport Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. We're grateful for all the international keynote speakers joining us for the two-day conference and the corporate sponsors and industry leaders in the C. diff community who will be providing data focused on C. diff, a leading healthcare-acquired infection, microbiome research, sepsis, clinical trials, environmental safety, and much more. For more information and to register, please visit the, visit the C. diff Foundation's website. Don't delay as accommodations and availability seating is now limited. We look forward to learning more together with you in November. We would like to take this time to send out our get well wishes to all the patients being treated and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness-draining illnesses that are being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala with our reminder that none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We send you our good, we send you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. 
Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back. 